All right, we are in 1 Samuel chapter 24, uh, and we've been studying the life of David. And as we do that in the first eight verses of chapter 24, we see that David uh, comes upon Saul in a cave. Uh, Saul is alone, and David and his men are at the back of the cave, and David now has a unique opportunity to enact revenge, to kill him, to kill this person who has been after him who has, has been uh, chasing him for years, who will not acknowledge him as the next king of, of Israel. And so David, because he's a godly man, even though his men want him to kill Saul, David recognizes that he should not kill Saul, that he cannot do that. He cannot violate God's command, even though in his human part of his life, he would like to do it. And so instead, he cuts off a part of Saul's robe so that Saul would know that David could have killed him, but did not. And so there's a number of lessons that come to us in this regard. How do we approach people who have mistreated us? How do we approach people who have done us wrong, who have persecuted us, who have caused suffering for us? Um, you know that, that in our uh, carnal nature, uh, and I would say I know a lot about the carnal nature, because uh, I came from New Jersey, um, in, in our carnal nature, we would want to enact pain, right? You did me wrong, you're going to know it, all right? You're going to know it. I'm going to make sure I deliver a strong message to you. Well, you know what? That's not how God wants us to live. Um, and I told you a personal testimony for myself that one of the worst moments of my life was in my, my church that my family had founded 100 years ago, um, and that at some point in time, those people that had succeeded my father uh, didn't want me around any longer, uh, didn't want me even to get up and speak for five minutes. Uh, and they said, they, they had indicated to me that uh, I had no authority to get up and, and speak about God in the church in which I had spent my life. And they did it in such a hateful, terrible way that honestly, if they had done it any other time in my life in any other setting, I would have cut them to ribbons. You understand, I would have cut them to ribbons with my tongue. But it was as if God handcuffed me. It was as if God said to me, you're in church. You're in a holy place. Even though what they've done is despicable, you cannot do back to them what they've done to you. And I don't want you to think that, that, that you have this high, elevated feeling when this goes on. Sometimes it's a low feeling, but you recognize that God is constraining you even as, as you have this, this strong urge to, to cut back and to enact revenge. And God did that. God made me not say a word. I left that day, and really that closed the door on that church for me for the mess, rest of my spiritual life. And God had other plans for me, which were down here, uh, which I didn't recognize at the time. It was terribly hurtful for me. Uh, I can tell you this, that uh, I went out to my car and I sobbed for about a half an hour because I could not believe that somebody could, could inflict that kind of pain in a church where I'd spent my life. I'd been the church organist for 40 years. But you see how when evil rears its ugly head, uh, it doesn't matter where it is. I told you the story of C.S. Lewis in the Screwtape Letters, where C.S. Lewis, the senior demon, says what? We do our best work where? In church, all right? So I know a number of you have been hurt in church in places where you wouldn't expect to be hurt. Well, now the question becomes, when you've been hurt, 
when you've, spent, when you've suffered, when you've been persecuted, how does God want us to act as men of God? We're supposed to be messengers of the gospel of Jesus Christ. How do we as messengers of the gospel of Jesus Christ act? Turn to Matthew 26. And, and this is, this is uh, Jesus speaking. Uh, verse 50. Jesus is about to be arrested in the garden. He's about to be arrested. And so Judas has identified him, and now in verse 50, Jesus says as follows. Jesus replied, friend, do what you came for. He's speaking to Judas. Then the men stepped forward, seized Jesus, and arrested him. With that, one of Jesus' companions, that's Peter, reached for his sword, drew it out, and struck the servant of the high priest, cutting off his ear. That's Peter. He cuts off the ear of the associate of the high priest. Verse 52, put your sword back in its place, Jesus said to him, for all who draw the sword will die by the sword. Do you think I cannot call on my father and he will at once put at my disposal more than 12 legions of angels? But how then would the scriptures be fulfilled that say it must happen in this way? Can you imagine Jesus telling us the power that he holds, the restraint that he holds, uh, not seeking revenge, 12 legions of angels. I think I studied this at one time. I think it, that meant something like 8,000, all right? Eight to 10,000 angels. Can you imagine what that had to be like? All he had to do was ask God, all right? And this army of angels would descend, and we know from reading scripture that one angel in the Old Testament wiped out 800,000 people one night, right? You know that story, Wiped it out. So can you imagine what 12 legions of angels would be like? There wouldn't be a body left standing. And yet Jesus shows restraint. We don't live by the sword. We don't, act, we don't enact revenge even when we're put to the test. We hold ourselves back. Why? Because we're spreading the gospel of that man, Jesus Christ, God himself. That's our job. And so even in your human nature, when you're angry and you seek to strike back, withhold. Ask God to give you strength. Ask God to fill you with his spirit so that you don't do this because it's important. Look also at Luke 23. Luke 23. Two other men, both criminals, were also let out with him to be executed. When they came to the place called the skull, there they crucified him along with the criminals, one on his right, the other on his left. Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. He's been beaten. He's been flagellated. He's carried a cross. He's been spit upon. He's been nailed to the cross. He's now on the cross dying. How does he respond to his enemies? Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. What a powerful message this is to us. That when you've been hurt, when you've been persecuted, we as Christians do not strike back. We withhold that. We ask for God's grace. And that kind of action, that kind of temperament spreads the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I told you, one of the things that I've found for myself when I've been hurt bad by people, when I would be subject to bitterness and rage, and what I do is I find that the only way I can eliminate this from my life is to pray for the people that hurt me to pray for them, all right? And as I said uh, on Sunday, 
Don't pray that their house falls in on them. Pray that God delivers them from this temptation, that God takes this evil away from them, that they have an awakening and an understanding of who Jesus is. Pray for them in that regard. That's what God wants us to do. And so you see this understanding of how how God wants us to act. It's not about revenge. It's not about taking things into your own hand. When you take things into your own hand, you take the things out of God's hands. All right? This is an important lesson, what I just said. When you take things into your own hands, you take God's hands out of the picture. God doesn't want this. Turn also to 1 Peter chapter 2. When they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. Oh, Lord, what a beautiful picture that is. When they hurled the insults, he didn't, he didn't retaliate with insults. When, they, when he suffered, he didn't make threats. He entrusted himself to him who judge justly. That's what our life is about. We put ourselves in the hand of God. We submit to God. Lord, I submit myself to you. You lead me. You tell me. You speak to me. I'll do what you want to do, Lord. I'm not going to be a person that takes things into my own hands. I'm not going to do that. Uh, and so you see, God speaks about the illusion of revenge. The illusion of revenge. The idea that when you take things into your own hands, you're going to feel better about it. You know, you're going to feel better about it because you've, you've righted a wrong. You won't feel better. You won't feel better because all you've done is escalate. You're going to escalate. Uh, and, and don't give me that verse, an eye for an eye, all right? I know I hear people, even Christian people tell me this, an eye for an eye. That was meant for institutional Israel. That was not meant as an individual proscription to, to people, to Jews, as to how they live their life. You had no authority if somebody took your eye out for you to go and take their eye out. But institutional Israel had the authority as a government to do that in terms of, of what God entrusts to the government. Let's make it very clear that we differentiate between individual rights and government rights. Turn to Romans chapter 12. Verse 17, again now we're talking about evil. David is the poster child for having evil visited on him for, for an innocent man who didn't deserve it, uh, and yet evil was, was uh, surrounding him, and you see how he reacted, and what a lesson it is. Verse 17, Romans 12, verse 17, Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everybody. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it is mine to avenge, I will repay, says the Lord. Now this is a, cr a critical lesson. The Lord will avenge you if where you are is appropriate. If you are innocent and you have suffered because you are innocent, God will avenge you. Uh, and that's now you understand that verse. Now it makes sense as God is telling you to withhold your judgment, withhold your action, still your arms, still your tongue, 
Don't do anything. I will repay, says the Lord. And then look at verse 20. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will, be, you will heap burning coals on his head. Now, some of us would just rather heap burning coals on his head. Right? Let's go right to the third part of that. Heap the burning coals. But you understand what, what, the, what the word of God is saying here. That, that when you have an enemy, effectively, don't treat him like an enemy. Show him that you live your life in a different way than he lives his life. Uh, feed him if he's hungry. Give him something to drink if he is thirsty. And what does it mean you will heap burning coals on his head? His mind will be blown. He will not be able to understand exactly what this kind of attitude is about. Why somebody who he has despised and done evil to would act like this towards him. Do you see how the kingdom of God is so different? And I know what you're saying right now. You're saying this. Well, is he kidding me? Is he kidding me? Does he really expect me? Does he really expect me to live like this? Look, this is not an instantaneous conversion issue. You don't instantaneously arrive at this position. But over a lifetime of walking with Jesus, of having the Holy Spirit fill and refill your life, you're going to see yourself act in ways that would be totally different than you would have acted before. And this is one of those examples. And then in verse 21, it says, Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Wow, what a great verse that is. Do not, become over, do not be overcome with evil. Because that's what happens when you go back and revisit evil for evil that's been put on you. All you're doing is getting down in the same dirt. You're not, getting, you're not demonstrating that you're a Christian. You're not demonstrating that you're a son of God. You're demonstrating that you're just as bad as they are. But God wants us to live a different kind of life. God wants us to see that there's a difference in the way we live. And so you see the idea of revenge is merely an illusion. It's an illusion. You never get even with anyone. It is impossible to balance the slates when you're hurt. How do you balance it? You've been hurt. You've been hurt. So what? So you go back and punch him? You go back and inflict some pain on him? Oh, I'm feeling better. No, you're not feeling better. You're not feeling better. Nobody's addressed that pain. But you see, when you act the way God prescribes for us, you do feel better because the Holy Spirit addresses those issues in your life. And so it's so important to see this. And David understood this. Even as a young man, he could have killed Saul, but he recognized that Saul was the anointed. And if he killed Saul, he'd be violating God's command. It would effectively be murder. He would be murdering Saul. Uh, and so even though his men wanted him to do that, even though he wanted them to do that, he would, he would not do that. He would stop that. He would set, separate it. And so did you ever stop to consider this fact again, that when we take matters into our own hands and try to get even with others, we are taking out the opportunity for God to act. God wants to act on our behalf. God wants to settle the score for us. God wants to lift you up and establish you. Uh, as a, an example of what a Christian should be. And so don't take, don't take God's rights away from him. But ask God to give you grace as you come across these difficult things. 
And a lot of what we're talking about here is what I refer to as personal integrity. Christian integrity, meaning acting, acting in a way that elevates the kingdom of God. Acting in a secret place when nobody could see you the same way you would act in a very public environment. Recognizing that whatever we do in our lives, we will have to give an accounting to it to God. And so even if we cannot respect the people who come across uh, our radar screen, even if we not, we constantly have to recognize that we're dealing with God. And so even if we don't respect them, we respect the fact that they are uh, creatures of God and God has given us commands and that eventually we will have to answer to God. Yes, you are saved. Yes, you're not going to be kept out of heaven, but you know God still calls us to account with what we've done with our lives. You understand that. And so I'm not speaking of the issue of salvation. I'm speaking really of accountability to Jesus later on. Uh, and the Bible is very clear about that. Let's turn to Romans chapter 14, please. Verse 4. Who are you to judge someone else's servant? To his own master he stands or falls. And he will stand, for the Lord is able to make him stand. We talked about this, about judging, being careful, being careful to pronounce judgments on people uh, or incidents. Been very careful. We know many of us are so quick to do that. Someone asked me last week, well, what about if we see people living in a sinful way that we know are part or that are supposed to be Christians? Well, I said the difference between judging the way God wants us to, to judge and the way human beings judge, the, pr the better phrase to use the way God would want you to judge is evaluation. You're not personally entering the fray, but you're saying to someone you know that what you're doing is outside of the will of God. And you do it in love. You got that? Not, you're going to hell. <laughs> you're going to hell. But instead, do it with a loving spirit. I mean, do you wonder why? You wonder why so many of us love the judging part of it. You know, we got a whole list of people that we'd like to see judgment rain down upon. This one, that one, this one, that one. All right, and and you see, you you you're not bringing people to Jesus. I can't understand why I'm not bringing people to Jesus. Well, what are you doing? Well, I've got a lot of people out there. I'm telling them they're going to hell. I'm out there telling. I'm warning them. I'm warning them. They need to be told. They need to be told. They need to be loved. That's what they need. They need to experience the love of God. And then when they experience the love of God, let the Holy Spirit deal with them as the Holy Spirit will. And then you can speak to them as a fellow brother or sister in a loving attitude instead of you deciding that you need to be God's judge in this world. Uh, and you see how God warns us. While we're in uh, Romans 14, uh, park on verse 12. We'll look at verse 10 first. You then, why do you judge your brother? Or why do you look down on your brother? For we will all stand before God's judgment seat. It is written, as surely as I live, says the Lord, every knee will bow before me, every tongue will confess to God. So then each of us will give an account of himself to God. Therefore, let us stop passing judgment on one another. Instead, make up your mind not to put any stumbling block or obstacle in your brother's way. 
As one who is in the Lord Jesus, I am fully convinced that no food is unclean in itself. But if anyone regards something as unclean, then for him it is unclean. What is he saying here? He's talking about the fact that he was raised as a Jew. That he wouldn't eat certain foods. That certain foods were outside of what a Jew would consider to be uh, God's will. All right? If it wasn't kosher, he wasn't eating it. And so there you have the, the Jerusalem church now which started as strictly a Jewish church, is no longer a Jewish church. Now it's a Jewish Gentile church. And so when they would have Sunday meetings and they would eat, the Gentiles would be eating Johnsonville sausage. And the Jews would be choking. And so instead of advancing the gospel of Christ, they're arguing over food because one is passing judgment on the other. You understand? You see, how, you see how quickly things devolve? It's church. It's the first century church. Jesus isn't dead 10 years. All right? And this thing is coming apart. So what is he saying there? Don't become a stumbling block. So if you've got a thing in which you, uh, for you uh, the food has become an issue, then be careful about that. Live that way for yourself, but don't ascribe it to other people. All right? Don't ascribe it to other people. Don't divide the church. All right? Don't take these judgments into yourself. Well, I read the scripture. I know what's right. All right? Let God, let God deal with people through the Holy Spirit. All right? Unless you have been called in a godly way to do this. And boy, I'll tell you, that's few and far between, friend. Few and far between, really. Few and far between, uh, and verse 15, if your brother is distressed because of what you eat, you are no longer acting in love. Do not by your eating destroy your brother by whom Christ died. Do not allow what you consider good to be spoken of evil. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness, peace, joy in the Holy Spirit. There it is. That's how God wants us to live, in peace and joy in the kingdom. And so make sure you're not a stumbling block. How do I tie this all back down into David? Because he had every right to enact revenge. And yet by doing that, he would violate God's will. And here he would become the future king of Israel. The future king of Israel who would have that stain of sin on him. Who God would come to judge him on that issue. It's a big deal, folks. It's a big deal. And you know, it's also noteworthy to look at the reaction of David. In this sense, when he, when he cut... Saul's robe. Do you see him taking joy? Do you see him having a sense of joyfulness? Look what I did. I bribed, humiliated him. I humiliated him. Instead, how did he act? He had a sense of brokenness that he recognized that this was God's anointed. This is the man that led, led Israel, and yet he cut his robe, which was effectively a denial of his kingdom. That disturbed him. That disturbed him. Uh, and so you see that. So I, I am amazed, personally, I am amazed that people who call themselves Christian uh, are able to hurt others with their words and deeds in the way that they do. I'm sorry to say this. I am amazed. People say I'm a Christian, and yet I'll see their conduct. I see how they act. I see how they speak. I see their hurtfulness, their, their, their anger, and their bitterness. Uh, and, and, how, and how they destroy the kingdom of God. Uh, and, and so when our right hearts are right with the Lord, 
when you are right with the Lord, when you've asked God to intervene in your life, to fill and refill you with the Holy Spirit, the fruit of the Spirit, the love of God, the patience of God, the joy of God comes into your heart and fills you and empowers you and causes you to act in ways that you never thought possible because our human nature doesn't work that way. It's a whole different paradigm. And so you see this. And so look, look at the integrity of the confrontation of David. Look at how, how he handled this confrontation uh, with Saul. And let's read along on that. Verse 20, uh, 1 Samuel 24, beginning at verse 8. This, uh, we're going to continue in 1 Samuel. Verse 8. When then David went out of the cave and called out to Saul... My lord, the king. When Saul looked behind him, David bowed down and prostrated himself with his face to the ground. He said to Saul, why do you listen when men say David is bent on harming you? This day you have seen with your own eyes how the Lord delivered you into my hands in the cave. Some urged me to kill you, but I spared you. I said, I will not lift my hand against my master because he is the Lord's anointed. See, my father, look at this piece of your robe in my hand. I cut off the corner of your robe, but did not kill you. Now understand and recognize that I am not guilty of wrongdoing or rebellion. I have not wronged you, but you are hunting me down to take my life. May the Lord judge between you and me, and may the Lord avenge the wrongs you have done to me, but my hand will not touch you. As the old saying goes, from evildoers come evil deeds, so my hand will not touch you. Against whom has the king of Israel come out? Whom are you pursuing? A dead dog? A flea? May the Lord be our judge and decide between us. May he consider my cause and uphold it. May he vindicate me by delivering me from your hand. Wow. Wow. Can you imagine speaking like that to a man who has pursued you to kill you for years? A man who hates you and you've done nothing wrong. And yet look at the way that, that he did. This is a, 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 an outline to you of what I call personal integrity as to how you ought to even confront people who do evil to you. This is how God says, this is the, the plate. This is the paradigm. This is how you should act. First, verse 8, David took the first step. He didn't wait for Saul to come and speak to him. He took the first step. So when we've been affected by evil at some point when God inspires us, it's appropriate to speak in a way that's not evil, in a way that's not bitter or vengeful, but instead to speak out appropriately. And so David takes the first step. He speaks to Saul. What does he do? Verse 8, he humbles himself before Saul. All right, look at the way that word is said. He goes, he says, my Lord, the king. He, bowed down, he bows down and prostrates himself with his face to the ground. Now think about it. He humbles himself in front of his enemy. Would we do that? I don't think so. I would like to think I would but most likely I would not. Instead, most likely I would probably say, who do you think you are? 
Who made you a judge over me? I mean, you know, you can see yourself doing that. Instead, here you're seeing him bow down before this, this person who is doing nothing but evil towards him, bowing down and, and recognizing that he's king and, and speaking to him. He humbles himself. Because when you humble yourself, you are submitting yourself to God. You're not submitting yourself to a man. You're submitting yourself to the will of God. You understand the difference? Even as he humbled himself before Saul, he wasn't, he wasn't submitting to Saul because Saul was evil. He was submitting to his God who had anointed Saul, who was now in full control of his life. He was bowing to God and, and honoring God. And so there he is. He has humbled himself before Saul. Then what does he do? He honors Saul. He uses his title as king. He elevates his position. He's showing Saul, this is who you are. Act in accord with the, with the position that you hold. He's, he's reminding Saul that Saul was put in that place by God. In verses 9-11, David speaks the absolute truth concerning the situation. This is important. David doesn't mince words. David doesn't uh, polish the apple and make it different. And look, look in verses 9 to 11 as David factually outlines uh, what's been going on here. He said to Saul, why do you listen when men say David is bent on harming you? This day you have seen with your own eyes how the Lord delivered you into my hands in the cave. Some urged me to kill you, but I spared you. I said I will not lift my hand against my master because he is the Lord's anointed. There it is. Why do you listen to people that are saying that I want to destroy you or kill you? Why are you listening to these evil reports? They're untrue. And look, if it were true, I could have killed you. And yet here's a piece of your robe that I did not do it. And so you see how God wants us to speak. We speak the truth, but we speak it in a way that's, that's loving and gentle and civil. Uh, and then in verses 9 to 11, David as, declares his own guilt uh, um, uh, in regarding this situation. Uh, and you see that, that David looks and says, look, I have responsibility. Uh, I will not lift my hand up because the anointed, you are the anointed. And so he's recognizing and, and indicating to Saul, look, I'm human. I'm human. I have foibles. I recognize this. And then in verses 12 through 13, David commits himself to doing the right thing. I will, be, I will be the man of God. Verse 12, may the Lord judge between you and me and may the Lord avenge the wrongs you have done to me, but my hand will not touch you. My hand will not do anything against you. I have put my future with God. God will avenge what God determines needs to be avenged. What a powerful passage this is. Uh, and you would think that at this moment when he could create and, and, and level the field that he would do it and he does nothing. As he says there, and he goes on to cite a saying, an old proverb, from evildoers come evil deeds, so my hand will not touch you. I will not touch you, Saul. No matter what you do to me, I will not touch you. Wow. And so David places his case in the, in the God of the universe. In the God of the universe. Just imagine what it must have been like for Saul to confront this man who he hated and despised, and instead he sees, he sees this. And so God is giving you an outline, a virtual paradigm here for how you are to act in terms of people that have done wrong to you. 
and I want to give you some scriptural backup for this. Turn to uh, Luke 17. Because there's not a person in this room who has not been afflicted or persecuted or suffered, who had wrongdoing due to them, uh, even though they were innocent. And God is telling us how we need to act. Uh, Luke 17, verse 3. So watch yourselves. If your brother sins, rebuke him. And if he repents, forgive him. If he sins against you seven times in a day, and seven times comes back to you and says, I repent, forgive him. Oh, the apostle said to the Lord, increase our faith. Yeah, I guess so, guys. Increase our faith. What that really means is, oh, Jesus, this is a hard saying. It's a hard saying. Seven times? Seven times seven? I mean, how many times do I forgive somebody? And as Peter asked Jesus, and Jesus said 70 times seven, meaning infinity. Uh, a world without numbers. You always forgive. You always forgive. Uh, now, you speak civilly and in love to someone that has wronged you. I mean, verse says that there. If your brother sins, rebuke him. And if he repents, repents, forgive him. If he sins against you, continue to repent him. You go and tell him that he's outside of God's will. That's all appropriate. Look also at Matthew 18. Matthew 18. It's interesting how many verses in the Bible relate to this issue. You think Jesus knew that it was a problem with humanity? You think? I think so. Matthew 18, verse 15. If your brother sins against you, go and show him his fault just between the two of you. You got that? Just between the two of you. You don't call a convocation. You don't go running off to court or hire a lawyer. You understand? And who better to say that than, than I? All right? You don't do that. You go and you see your brother who has wronged you and you speak to him gently and in love and explain to him what has happened. What happens next? If he listens to you, you have won your brother over. But if he will not listen, take one or two other brothers along so that every matter may be established by the testimony of one or one of, of two or three witnesses. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, treat him as you would a pagan or a tax collector. I love that, as a tax collector. What does it mean? You forgive, you forgive, you forgive. You try to iron it out. You go and speak. And if he, does not, if he does not accept what you do, then you bring some other witnesses. And if that doesn't happen, you speak to the church and have the church intervene. All right? In every possible way, you're looking to continue the fellowship of people within the confines of God. You got it? That's how we're to act. And it's only after all that has been exhausted that you then move away. That person is not in your life. Okay? You don't have to pounce on them. You don't have to punish them. You leave that to God as you see this. And so it's, it's, it's so interesting when you see how God shows us how to act. Um, look also in verse 14 in that same chapter. In the same way, your Father in heaven is not willing 
that any of these little ones should be lost, okay? Talking again about forgiveness and how God acts. And so that's how God acts towards us. This is an example. So we are supposed to uh, extend absolute forgiveness to the offending parties. Really, John? Yeah, that's what the scripture says. Take a look at Ephesians chapter 4. Look at verse 29. We'll get some continuity here. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger, brawling, and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other just as in Christ God forgave you. Forgiving forgiving that's the analysis here forgiving those who have harmed you and have done evil to you and when i read this verse and 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 you read it backwards you see why a lot of this of this uh evil comes into our radar why we wind up acting like this well you see it in verse 29 do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth honestly some of the reason why we cannot be loving and forgiving is that we're not loving ourselves. We've done everything in our power to take the fruit of the Holy Spirit, which includes love, and dial it down, to squash it, not to let love come up in our lives. And so what happens? This is a result. This is what happens when you live like that. Your your talk is unwholesome. Uh, You don't build other people up. You wreck other people. You tear them down. And, and you grieve the Holy Spirit of God. What does it mean to grieve the Holy Spirit of God? It means this. Each and every one of you in this room has been sealed with the Holy Spirit. Every one of you has the Spirit of God within your heart. He sealed you on the day that you accepted him. He, he sealed you so that the world would know you are one of his. And when he sealed you, the Bible tells us that he implanted within you the fruits of the Spirit. And the fruits of the Spirit are love, peace, joy, patience, long-suffering. All right? That's what the fruit of the Spirit is. And every single one of you have all of the fruits within your spirit. And when you begin to have unwholesome talk, and when you have bitterness and rage when you've dialed down the holy spirit what does it mean you're grieving the holy spirit of god it's a big deal it's exactly why we act the way we don't want to act you think this is what god called you to be a christian he called you to be a christian because he put jesus spirit inside you so that you would be able to show others what it means to be a christian the world can't live like this and, you know, and so you see this world, this verse, all right? You see it, and, and, and so you're grieving the Holy Spirit of God. And so what does he say? How do you stop grieving the Holy Spirit of God? Well, I'm going to tell you. You pray, you read scripture, you go to Bible studies, you elevate everything that you're doing within the, within the will of God, and then look at it. Get rid, verse 31, get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, brawling and slander wait a minute wait a minute wait a minute are you talking to christians 
Who's this letter to? Well, it's to the church in Ephesus. You mean to tell me they're angry? They're brawling? They're slandering? Oh, yes, brother, I'm afraid to tell you. That's going on in the church. I can't believe it. Believe it. Believe it. Believe it. And how many of us here, how many of us here in our lifetimes, even as we claim to be Christians, have been angry and bitter? Huh. Right? Angry and bitter and slandering. Oh, please. Some of us can't wait to get out of the church parking lot on Sunday. Am I right? We can't wait to get out of the church parking lot. Oh, that music. I can't believe I left to listen to that music. Whatever happened to those old hymns? What kind of stuff is this? I can't believe Jesus would never play a guitar in church. Jesus would only rely on a pipe organ. I know that because I read a King James Bible. I know how Jesus spoke. You understand there's so many ways that we, we allow the, the spirit of the world to come into our hearts. Yes, you're saved. Let me reiterate that. Yes, you're saved. Yes, you're going to heaven. But by the way, are you fulfilling the will of God while you're here? Are you drawing people to Jesus? Or are you repelling them? And you see the whole issue here. Bitterness, rage, anger, brawling, slander, along with every form of malice. This is the church. This is us. This is me. This is you. Be kind and compassionate to one another. Forgiving each other just as Christ forgave us. You want to be the kind of man that God wants you to be? God wants you to be kind. He wants you to be forgiving. He wants you to be compassionate. And you see the paradigm here of David in this very situation, in this very situation where he's right there and he could have enacted revenge when he could have enacted punishment. Instead, he did not. Lord, I'm not indicting you guys. I'm indicting myself. I've lived this way. I've been this kind of a person. All right? Even as I called myself a Christian, I've lived like that. I've done things that I'm not, I'm not a, a proud of, things that, that I had with malice. Why? Because the flesh percolates up. You understand? The flesh percolates up, and you suppress the Holy Spirit of God. Instead, now as I've gotten older, I've recognized that I have a way to act differently, and you have a way to act differently. God's put it in your heart. Ask God to fill you with his spirit. It's already there. Turn the, turn the valves up. Allow God to come into your heart, to fill your heart with love and kindness and compassion, to be the kind of person that does not look to enact revenge, but instead looks to do a random act of kindness. Amen? Let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord Jesus, I thank you so much, Lord, for the lesson that you've given us today. For your words, Lord, you've inspired us to live in a godly way, not to live the way we may have been before, not to look to enact revenge, but rather, God, to let you fight our battles, to let you decide as to how justice should be enacted. And Lord, I ask you to give us a greater sense of love, that we love each other, that we love those of us in the church, that we love the lost world. Fill us with that spirit, Lord. Fill us with kindness and compassion. Help us to be the kind of 
poster child that draws people to you, Father, not repels them, but draws them. Bless our people. Bless them this week. Continue to protect them and bring them back safely next week to continue the study of your word. We put all of this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. God bless you.